We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Describe the game at Stamford Bridge than to say it was effing unbelievable. This is the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. My name is Alex Pitigabot, me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It's weird. I got to admit, it's weird because, like, we clearly use swear words on this podcast, but I have, I have tried to lessen that. There are people that have gotten in touch and say, hey, you know, I listen in the car with my kids, or, you know, I just don't like it for one reason or another. That, yeah, I get a little tut tut. And so every once in a while, when we got to break out the C word, we do it. Or when we got to throw some, some Fs in there, F bombs, it has to happen. I'm not throwing it in the title, but it could have been in there because I do think Granite Shaka summed it up nicely when asked about the atmosphere live on national television and said, Look at the atmosphere. It's effing unbelievable uh, as they roared the Granite Shaka song out. And if you are, uh, a patron and listened on the instant reaction, you will have heard that song booming in the background as Clive recorded his instant reaction from Stanford Bridge with the Shaka song ringing in his ears in the background. It was a, a beautiful moment, a beautiful day. We wake up to some interesting news too. Liverpool so frustrated that Arsenal have taken their role of trying to challenge City that FSG are trying to sell the club. And we can only hope that they find some comically stupid owner who uh, will ape the Todd Bowley experience and just say, I was a Thierry Henry fan. Is he still play? Let's sign him. You know, I mean, actually, I don't. I don't want Thierry Henry going there. Who? Who's someone from the past? Cristiano Ronaldo. That's someone from the past who doesn't play football anymore that they could try to sign. Could do that. Um, and then, obviously, the Europa League draw was made. I think the Champions League did something too, but who knows? The news out of the Europa League draw is that Manchester United and and Barca have drawn each other. So one of those will be going away. I think we know it is United that will be going away because we are obligated to draw. Barcelona in the round of 16 of any European competition that we were both in. So that's that. We're going to get into what was another really special day and another point proven. I think it's fair to say not just another big, big uh, club that we've taken down, but now we've done it away. Right. That was the next hurdle that had to be done. Mission accomplished. And here to discuss how that mission was accomplished and the meaning of it with me is Paul. You can find my Twitter pods, my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at, check this out, Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. 
And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at I drank too much last night and now I regret many decisions I made. And also on Clive PFC, he runs both accounts. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, indeed. Look, we're going to do that thing we do, that opening section we do where we talk about the experience of being there. But guess what? It's not going to be with Tim this time. It's going to be with Clive. Clive, I, I mean, Granite Shack has said it best about the atmosphere, and it really was special. It was a soaking wet day, the kind of day that you could just be miserable standing there in the stands. And I'd like to think that the Chelsea fans were the miserable lot of them. You were not miserable. You were in full voice. The Arsenal fans, easy to hear. Really, the only ones you could hear in a otherwise silent Stamford Bridge as we strangled Chelsea really just choked the life out of them and their ability to feel like they could compete. There was never a moment in the game where it felt like they were going to push on. And that meant that I think for you being there, it must've just been an extraordinary day. You sounded uh, extremely ebullient in your post-match recordings. And I want to hear what the, the experience was like being at Stanford bridge on a day when Arsenal didn't just beat Chelsea, but were by far the better side. Yeah, well, firstly, thanks to Tim and Akil for getting me the tickets, right? Because it's very important. These experiences, I don't often get to go to away games. Second one this year, and both have been tremendous. And um, so, yeah, going there is actually, it's not a bad journey. It's, it's quite nice. You go there. It's quite a nice part of the world around that world. It's like, it's quite <laughs> nice. not like, <laughs> like other places you go, Tim. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's actually quite nice. So, um but I will say there was a little bit of confidence before the game. But when the game started, and we all we we all know our football, we, you know, we, you know, we all know our football. But I'm watching this game from behind the goal, and I'm watching what we're doing, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we look so well coached. Everything that looks so prescribed and strategic, and the movement, and I'm thinking, bloody hell. Calm down, mate. Calm down. Calm down. This is like this is. Are you, is this the beer talking? What's going on? What's going on? And I'm watching this, and I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, you got to do a halftime chat in a minute. You got to you got to hold it down. But I'm struggling to hold it down because I could find hardly anything wrong. And since the game was ended, I purposely kept myself away from a lot of the analysis, analysis to try to stay in the. I've just come back from a house party mode and I'm still drunk and I'm looking in the fridge for more beer. Do you know what I mean? That's where I am and I want to stay right here for this podcast because come the end of the game, I said to you at halftime earlier, I said, I don't care what the result is. I'm telling you now, we're better than them. And we've beaten them before, Tim, cup final. You know what I mean? We beat them. We've beaten them in recent years, but I've never felt better than them. You know, I felt that we got them on a good day and we beat them. Do you know what I mean? But, we were better. I said, we're better. I've, and I thought, oh, you said it now. What if we lose? You told us we were better. But we are better. And it, not by a small distance. We were significantly better. They were left to just chipping the ball into a five foot seven centre forward. It was just ridiculous. And um, come the end of the game, he just continued and obviously won the game. And the, the aftermatch scenes were just the best ever. I've ever known. Mm. The, and you weren't almost, disgusted by the fact that they celebrated the victory. Yeah, oh, we re- they celebrated, and the players could not wait to come. It mm. felt like the final whistle went, and three point two seconds later, the players are all in front of us with their tops off. They couldn't wait. Mm. They couldn't wait to get there. It was really mm. quick. Do you know what I mean? And um, and I, I almost wish Tim was there because I would I would have stayed next to me. I said I've never seen it like this before. Even the West End game I went to previously. The, the unanimous feeling of positivity, there was not one 
single person that was not beyond happy. You know, I'm sorry, there is no, it was unanimous. Everything connected, everything, the, the club, the players, everything was just perfect. It was totally perfect. I, and I spoke to a guy on the way out and he sort of said to me, he said to me, hey mate, he goes, this is as good as I've known it. And I said, yeah, I, I want to say that too. He said, it's as good as I've known it since the days when Vieira was storming around the pitch. The spirit in the group is just so evident. And when you see that as a fan, whether you're home or away, you take anything that's coming your way. Do you know what I mean? And, um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was uh, one of my, I keep saying it, Elliot, it's one of my favourite days, but I said that a lot recently. You know, on top of Spurs and Liverpool, this is literally one of my favourite days ever supporting yeah. the club. And and when he says it's the best he's known it, he's not wrong. It is Arsenal's best start to a season ever. And Arsenal have been playing football since 1886. So uh, it's it's the best start ever. And I can I can really identify with those players because in my 20s, I was known to take my top off at the first opportunity. So definitely uh, can commiserate with that sentiment. You know, go out to the bar, get a few drinks, things go good. Just take your top off. It's just what you do. Um, it's, it's interesting, Tim, because in a way, watching Chelsea felt like looking in the mirror a little bit. An old Aubameyang well past his best, not being able to get into the game. Older players that just don't look like they want to be there, like Sterling, just sort of in a role they're not familiar with. They haven't figured out who they are under their new manager yet. They've got pieces that don't fit for the system they want to play. They don't seem to get it. Structure isn't there. And you look at who we are, and you can almost see the distance we've traveled laid out before you in who Chelsea are right now and who we are right now. And so that's what I thought made it so fascinating because th this game, in a way, reminded me almost of like the way we looked against Liverpool you know, when like a, when a Mikel first arrived, right, with the sad old players who didn't fit the system, who don't necessarily want to be there, and no one's really figured out what they're doing yet against the team that was really at the peak of what their project was trying to build. And I'm wondering if you connect to that aspect of this at all, because I look at a Chelsea that they were out-tacticked by Arteta. They were outperformed by the individuals on the pitch. They were outworked by players that believe in what they're doing and know where they're supposed to be and are committed to the project. And on the Chelsea side, I see a lot of the, the same. I would diagnose the problems as being similar to what the distance we just traveled. So do you connect to that comparison with who we've been, where we're coming from at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like you said, the Abamyang thing. In fact, more than Abamyang. And it's nothing personal. Let's just be clear. It's nothing <laughs> no, personal. No. As Gabriel pointed out uh, on Twitter to and, like well, almost half a million likes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to come on to that in a second because okay, okay, I think yeah. that's really interesting. But mm -hmm. actually, I was looking at Sterling at right wing back and thinking, yeah, this is like when Aubameyang used to be on the wing for us. And you can see mm -hmm. you've got a really good player, but you don't know how to use him. And you look at some of the names on the team sheet and I was looking at it. I was like, this is the kind of team sheet because I, I, I looked at it on Twitter when it came out and I looked at it and I was like, this is going to be one of those team sheets where in three years, Chelsea are like, look at what we were turning out three years ago. Like, <laughs> yeah. like Loftus-Cheek starting, like Azpilicueta starting at right back. Um, mm. You know, like, and... and yeah. He probably did better than anyone else for them, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> who, who ha has been, has been a brilliant player over the years, mm. but <clears throat> isn't anymore, really. And 38-year-old Thiago Silva holding their defence together, like, it's, it's, 
it, uh, let's assume that Potter stays for a little while. That team's going to look very, very different, I think. I think, um, so I definitely do connect with that, and they're ageing out a little bit. Jorginho and Kante are ageing out. Kovacic a little bit, um, who've, again, all been really good, useful players for them. They don't really know what they're doing up front. They bought a Bamiyang a couple of years after I think it was evident to us that he was on the slide. But I, I think the thing that really connected me to it that 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 I think is really interesting is the kind of lack of warmth for a Bamiyang from our players. Now mm. I don't. I, obviously, I don't know, but I don't think at the point that he left, everyone hated him. I I, I think and perceived that he was still quite popular and people were sad to see him go. So to, to quote the man himself, I don't think it's personal, mm-hmm. but I don't know. When I saw them before the game, I didn't get like this big sense of, ah, oh, Ober, great to see you. Do you know what I mean? Like, Because mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they've just realised, yeah, that, that was the right thing to do. That needed to happen, um, whether it was the personality or the player or both. And Gabriel certainly him, took the piss. So I don't know yeah. how many like he yeah. was definitely he had he felt like he had a point to prove cuz he went up to him as he was walking off the pitch and had a word with him and then he went on Twitter and and continued it. Yeah, yeah, and like when you see the reaction to the the tackle on Ben White, like look, no one like goes for him. It's not like a van it's not like mm. I hate this guy and this is my chance to like punch him in the face. I didn't get mm-hmm. that. But like there wasn't, do you know what I mean? Like I know Party went up to him and there was a bit of uh, and and I don't know what that was like, really. But there wasn't. Do you know what I mean? Like there wasn't a great deal of warmth there. And like I say, I, d- I don't. I don't think that that's because they hated Abamyang. I think it's because they see, yeah, we're we're all right now. We're like that. He's not missed certainly as a as a player, and 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 maybe not as a personality because of to Clive's point, the the spirit in the group that's really really evident. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was great. <laughs> to be able to go up against a former player and at no point really feel that there was anything in it for him. Um, you know, I think back to the days of like Adebayor leaving and doing the knee slide in front of the fans and, you know, getting one over him. And and you have to think of the irony of Aubameyang leaving Arsenal and I think really engineering a way out of Arsenal. I, I really believe he did that to try to go to the giant Barcelona who basically are in the process of collapsing as he arrives. And then winding up going to the giant, you know, at least financially Chelsea, who wind up being in the process of collapsing as he arrives, all while his game himself is collapsing. And now he gets to trudge around a wet pitch watching the club he engineered a way out of just be so much better than the team he's on without him, you know, and under the manager that he opted not to really fight for. And I don't, I don't hold a grudge towards Aubameyang. I, I just, I can't. For one reason or another, I can't really connect to it. Um, but I certainly enjoyed that aspect of this game. And Paul, like this, this was dominance. And I have to admit, I did get a little nervous only in the sense of it was dominance, but we hadn't leveraged that dominance to a lead that I, I felt our play deserved. And so there's always that worry. <clears throat> but the reason that worry never really developed in me is that Chelsea never really mounted any pressure. What's extraordinary about this game is the extent to which we controlled it. Chelsea had five shots in the whole game. This was 2.1 to 0.3 on expected goals. I believe they had two shots after we took the lead. There was no moment where Chelsea was able to get into this game and feel like they were going to be able to get get back in it. And I think a lot of that starts with 
We'll get on to the sensational performance of one William Saliba in a moment, but I want to talk tactically here for a second. I just think Mikel Arteta not only had the better team, I think he just flat out outcoached Graham Potter. I think Potter got this totally wrong. The midfield was a disaster for them, and Thomas Partey ran this game from that position, and they couldn't get close. They didn't have a way to squeeze that central zone, even though that's exactly what you need to do against Arsenal just to get into the game, as we saw against Leeds. And I'm curious what sort of tactical deficiencies in Chelsea or advantages in Arsenal you saw, because one that just does leap to mind, and and I, I think it's a big part of it, even though we may have had a little rust, is the reintroduction of Zinchenko. And the way he's able to step into those positions. And while I love what Tomiyasu did in their deputizing for him, that extra little quality of Zinchenko playing, you know, just on the slant a little from party and Chelsea's inability to understand how to cover those spaces. We took them apart. And, and I think Potter had no answer for it. Yeah. Um, so this was interesting because I expected our usual blistering start uh, in around their penalty area in around the final third and this was a bit more of a slow burner. Um, I think there was a subtlety to it. I'm not, I'm not sure this was... I'm sure we would have loved to have blasted them in their penalty area for the first 20 minutes and got our goal within 10 minutes, which is the normal plan. But we kind of just dazzled, bemused, and amazed them with our play from our... through our back line, through Thomas Party up the right-hand side or uh, through the middle, out to Martinelli, three or four times early on in the game, uh, like in two and a half minutes into the game, five minutes into the game, ten minutes into the game, we just kind of slipped them out of their cocktail dress. Um, I think we just, like, we just worked it through them. First-time passes with guys like Party Chaka, Odegaard knowing the next pass, first-timing it and cutting through them. And so in possession, uh, we made it clear we were levels beyond them in terms of what we could do with the ball. And, of course, that relates to, look, Saliba, White, and Party in a cluster on one side. As you said, Zinchenko, uh, uh, Chaka always having the first time ball out to the right player and so it was kind of at will we could play through them uh, it's mm. one thing to play around the edges of a team when you play against a team that sees themselves as a pa- possession team and you play through them it's uh, I think it's a bit humiliating it tells you you're in trouble um, and then in when they were playing out from their end uh, the pressing structure was really interesting. We pressed aggressively. We had a huge number of turnovers in their defensive third. And what we did with Tiago and then playing out from the centre-backs, because like that's the move for them, right? They get the ball to Tiago and he pings it to somebody. And there was a very deliberate uh, pressing approach where we were okay with Tiago getting it. We would push him to the sideline and all his out balls were covered man to man. And so we had them kind of from both ends. We could play out at will. And from their side, we, we were just setting traps. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus, I mean, you would see him pointing. You would see everybody moving onto their man and we're like, we're cut off. we've cut all your, your options off. You can pass to 
these three guys down the line and we're already on them. And you saw this battle between White and Mount. The matchups were everybody won their battles. Everybody won their duels. We knew what we were going to do to them. In a way, maybe it made it a bit more of a slow burner than we normally see against other teams. But it seemed like we had a really well-prepared plan to stop them at source playing from the back. And they didn't really have a lot of anything else. But when we got it, we could play into positions with control at the mm-hmm. tempos we wanted. It wasn't really till the middle of the second half that we really turned the crank turned the pressure up, and got the inevitable goal. We were clearly the better team in the first half. We were clearly controlling it, but it had a bit of a different feel to what we've seen in other games where we go like the clappers from the get-go. This is way more control. Yeah, and and everybody played their role. I mean, Party obviously controlled the midfield, but Jesus, you mentioned 63 touches. Aubameyang had eight. Um, but, you know, this was a day where I think Jesus, for example, who will come on to in more detail later, really showed how central he is to everything we want to do. And and while I wish he'd gotten his head to that Martinelli cross because it would have been one of the goals of the season, his mm. influence was impossible to miss. Um, and Clive, just as a, as a quick moment of enjoying some brilliance, we pressed really effectively and they couldn't build play very often. So we didn't have to build back to front too often. But when we did, there were some sensational moments. And that... That Jesus header where he doesn't quite get onto it from the Martinelli cross, the play out from the back in that sequence was otherworldly. And, you know, we've seen some games this season where the, the tempo of the passing just wasn't quite right, and we weren't able to do that. I mean, we haven't seen many games, to be fair, but, like, the Leeds game would be an example of that. We really got it back in this game, and and that play, that buildup, it deserved a goal. It would have been one of the goals this season. So before we go into any more tactical analysis, just – uh, watching that from the ground, how breathtaking was that little piece of back to front uh, play from, yeah. from, from I, it was, I guess, well, everybody was involved. I'm not going to name the players, but it ends with that Jesus chance. Yeah, party white were involved in that. Odegaard set it and off out to the left-hand side to Shaka. So, so yeah, that happened in front of us. So literally I was punching, yeah, like we scored because it was the epitome of what we're trying to do. So how does this happen, right? It's all to do with body position. Body position and preparation before the ball arrives. So you must have a picture. You must have your body positioned correctly. That's how you flow through teams. And so without that detailed focus on what you're doing off the ball to readiness to receive the ball, you don't get the flow. If your body angle is half, if just a bit off, you close down the option to the next pass and then you have to have more touches, then you don't get the flow. And so that word flow, it's, it's, the, it's our big weakness, actually, because teams know we want to flow and they're kicking us and they're taking the flow out of the game. You know, and this is the key thing we have to watch. We have to speed up our restarts. I thought our restarts were indifferent in this game. Speed up our restarts and to keep the flow going because when we flow, we're unstoppable, literally unstoppable. I think this game, what stood out to me, Elliot, and Paul, I take on board what you're saying 100%, and the outcome was exactly as you said it. In football sometimes, well, all the time, you have to remember it's a contest. And in this contest, we were in charge of every single one-on-one on that pitch. 
every single one we had the better player and that means you can do what you like when you're in charge of your duel you can do what you like and now they're responding to you and their response to us was shit we can't we can't touch this we have to drop away potter was he's a man-to-man guy he wants to man-to-man us and the moment we said yeah man-to-man us we're going to pass it around you and we're going to spread out expand quickly and you're now traveling backwards reacting to what we're doing the moment that happens we're in charge we're in charge of territory. We're brave now. We squeeze up. Halfway line job. We were five yards inside the halfway time for much of this game. For much of this game. They were completely pressed out of it. When they looked up, they saw these towers at the back, these towers in centre mid. And when they looked into the wide areas, they saw these you know, metronomic sprinters. I'm not sure that's quite right. But sprinters that are going to skin you if you leave them. If you go lazy on them and don't double up, they're going to get you. And then if you do double up on there, we're going to give it to Odegaard, give it to Shaka, and then we're going to recycle again. And by the way, we're going to make you feel massively uncomfortable because our centre-forward has got some sort of mission on him to basically tackle you, fight you, punch you, do whatever he can to make you feel uncomfortable so you don't even know how to get it out of your penalty area. And that's where they were. And so the emphasis of a physical dominance allied to a high technical level is the thing I walked away from that ground. And we often talk about the metamorphosis away from Arsenal Wenger's physical team, running team, to an overly technical team that may be a bit too youth-centric that got kicked off of certain pitches, Tim, up north. And then we end up going through the, we need to recover our status team with the highly paid individuals that cared more about their bank balances to this team. And this team has a physical and technical level that we are used to from the past. And both of those, the 2008 team and the 2002 team, if you see what I mean. And, mm-hmm. and they're the youngest team in the league. So hold on to your hats. If we get this right, the next phase of this project, we're in, we're in, we're in business, mate. I'll tell you now. We're yeah, in, yeah. We're in and business. I mean, talk about a, a weekend that could have been one for the ages because if De Bruyne doesn't dive and get the penalty – and City don't rescue the points at home to Fulham, we're talking about this weekend potentially for decades. <laughs> I mean, it was it was that massive in terms of all the ways the results went. Tim, there, there's probably a million little things we could pick out of this game, but at this stage, it's almost too late to get on to William Saliba and what this guy is doing in this league. And I'll just say this about that Im- impressive buildup real quick and the, the chance that led to the, the buildup that led to the Jesus chance he does, doesn't quite get his head onto. The trust the players have to have in each other for that is immense because there's a wall pass on the edge of our area. I don't know who it's to or who it's from. It might have been Odegaard Was back to White to Saliba. To Saliba White to Saliba, is that it? Mean, yeah. Like he plays him into trouble, basically. Yeah, and the trust they have in those tight spaces. If you want to play great football, you have to be willing to do two things. Play a ball first time into a tight space and trust that your teammate will handle it. And we have the players who can handle it. So William Saliba, I mean, I just don't know what more you can say. And he absolutely takes the piss going on an incredible run to the byline with a cross that didn't really match the run, to be fair, at the end of it. But he doesn't lose a foot race. He doesn't panic. He takes the ball off you. He is winning headers now. You know, that was the thing he couldn't do, right? He couldn't. We cleared all the headers, no problem. He's just... It's funny because... Then when he celebrates, he looks batshit crazy. His arms go all wacky, waving, flailing tube man, and he, he makes silly faces. But 
prior to celebration moments, the guy is just cool as can be. And there's something about that coolness that transmits, especially when you have the hot-blooded Gabriel standing next to you. It's another barnstorming performance from Saliba. And I have to admit, Tim, there have been moments where I'm like, the guy's 21, we're, we're going to see the cracks. This isn't going to last. You know, We're going to see a return to what a human being should be able to do at center back at 21. I'm starting to think that this is just it, that we have the yeah. generational center back talent of the moment. And I don't see any reason not to believe that because he was out of this world uh, against Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like, you know, we, we've always, since like the glory days, as it were, who's the next Henri? And to be fair, we've had loads of good strikers since him. Where's the next Vieira? Guess what? Doesn't exist. <laughs> but I, I feel like, I feel almost Hardy's like... doing got, his best, to be fair. But, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel like we've got our soul Campbell, though, um, mm -hmm. here. Um, Saliba's just, like you say, just completely unflappable. Even that early in the first half, you know, he makes that almost horrendous error where the ball's rolled across to him and he misses it and Aubameyang has one of his three touches in the game. His only um, shot but, and it's blocked, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Saliba just like goes across, blocks it and then you know what it's like, the camera pans on the player mm -hmm. and um, as I watched the game back this morning and, and what was just remarkable to me was like, that's a shit your pants moment, right? You mm -hmm. miscue the ball in the area mm -hmm. and you get away with it. I, I think 99% of players, I, I mean, a lot wouldn't have made the block anyway. I think most players would have like gone or like few or like nothing. Like nothing, his, yeah. it's just absolute poker face. Like, mm -hmm. and, and that was quite a bad mistake and he recovered, but just poker face, just, okay, not a problem. I blocked it next job and that and and you're right that really does transmit and um you know one of the I, i've i've been writing my uh my column today a lot about our like our defensive structure um you know that that kind of that three two or two three or mm -hmm. however it is that kind of block of five we always have behind the ball that hoovers it up recycles and keeps teams under pressure and one of the things i wrote about was you know i know clive has used the word overburdened a lot um, over the last few years, like there are some players who are made by a system for whom a system makes them look good. It minimizes some of their, their quality, mm -hmm. their, sorry, their, their flaws and accentuates their attributes. And I, I don't want this to sound like a criticism of these players, but like Granite Xhaka, Gabriel Martinelli, they've looked much better because of the system and what's mm -hmm. going on around them. But there are some players who make the system yes. without whom you do not have the system. And like you look at them, like part is one of those definitely. Jesus party Saliba Jesus. right up the spine. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. And and you could say Zinchenko as well. And that that's that yeah. like a big part of why we've transformed this year is because that's three players that have come into the starting lineup that have, have drastically changed what we can do. But Saliba just because essentially, right? The the only because you can, it is impossible to cover all of the pitch. You have to leave space somewhere, and where you leave space you have to trust someone to cover that space. And for Arsenal, party, big part of that in the middle, albeit the fullbacks kind of come next mm -hmm. to him a little bit. But Saliba and Gabriel, they've got a lot of green grass over their shoulders. And we just kind of say, 
you're going to have to deal with that because opponents are going to try and hit that and we have to trust you to be able to recover into that space and almost play two defensive spaces. Now, because the fullbacks don't really go forward, they're never that far away. So what Saliba and Gabriel have come, become really good at doing is sprinting over into that space. And even if they don't get there before the attacker, they've only got to hold him up for five seconds hold him for like five seconds next to the touchline, then Zinchenko and White are back because they're not up next to the corner flag. They're in the centre mm-hmm. circle, so they can get back. But but yeah, Saliba's just one of those players, and this is incredible given his age because look at the other players we're talking about here, like in their mid-20s and late-20s. Saliba's one of those who you go, yeah, he's transformed what we've been able to do, and because of him, we are able to leave more space because he can look after it, and that... That's what an elite player gives you, and he is already an elite player. Yeah, he is. He's extraordinary, and <clears throat> it's you can find players that just love the defensive side of the game and the battles and the challenges, or you can find these skillful center backs. He's got both, and that burst of pace just helps him so much. The extent to which we can play up the pitch but we're still able to shut the back door. And I know we've been caught on the counter sometimes, and we've seen players who are tremendously quick and really good at runs. I mean, obviously Rashford had some joy, but there's not a lot of that going on. The thing that's so crazy, Paul, is like at halftime, you know, the game still felt tense to me. It's a big game. It's a way to Stanford Bridge. It feels tense. We've had all the ball, but, you know, oh, it's still nil-nil. It's still ten- and you look, they haven't done anything. They, You know, they have... They, I was wrong, by the way. They had one shot after we scored our goal. They had two shots in the second half. They had three shots in the first half. They managed 0.2 expected goals in the whole game. I think it was you know, 0.15 or something in the first half. And it is incredible, Paul, the way that we're able to be up the pitch in the attacking third, bemoaning our lack of, you know, of finishing, and yet we're not giving anything away. And so we just, even though the game felt tense, we weren't actually under pressure. I'm wondering... Are you surprised at just how little Chelsea were able to create here and and the extent to which they never really mounted pressure? Because the thing that really stood out to me, when we got the lead, I was like, you know what? It's been our game, but now we got to be prepared. We're going to face something different. We're going to face that barrage, and they're going to come for us, and we have to be able to repel that. And they never came. One shot after we scored the goal. For me, this game was entirely about the control we exerted over them. Yeah, and they were very bad. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were terrible. Uh, and not just terrible in execution. They looked like a team that just did... I mean, I I, I think it might have been Lewis who said it. might have been you in the instant reaction. They didn't look like they believed... Actually, no, I was saying it about the Stanford Bridge crowd. Like, I didn't get the sense that they believed they could beat us. That, which is a... Yeah. Re, I can't remember the last time I could say that about Chelsea. Yeah, and how, how often have we rolled into Stanford Bridge thinking... I mean, you never know what will happen on the day, but like we would, should, can outplay them, mm-hmm. get the result. Like it mightn't happen, but I, I went in there thinking, uh, like I remember, uh, I think James said on one of the recent podcasts, um, you know, if we get a result, if we get a point, you know, that's pretty good, which in the arc of the season is a, a completely reasonable but i remember thinking and i don't normally react like this to away games against strong teams i remember thinking we'd be in reality we'd be selling ourselves short for where we are and for where chelsea are if we don't go and take the three points yeah i agree agree. 
Mm-hmm. Arteta's talked very recently about, uh, you know, uh, going for the win. Uh, we don't do draws, by the way, just to come mm-hmm. back to this one. We've one draw this year. We had three last year. When I looked across the big five leagues last season, uh, nobody, uh, not just good teams, bad teams too, nobody had fewer draws than us. We had three draws. That's yeah. astounding. I don't know what, I don't know how you do that. Um, well, it's the right way to play. You want to play to win every game. And if that means mm-hmm. you lose the occasional game, it's much smarter than, you know, pl- holding on for draws. Yeah. So I go to to Stamford Bridge. Well, I didn't go. Um, <laughs> Clive did. The team did. Arteta did. Uh, Chaka did. And uh, mm-hmm. Arteta's kid, apparently, his son was in the crowd. Did you spot him, Clive? Did you spot uh, Arteta's son anywhere? No, I didn't. I spotted a lot of other blokes, though. <laughs> and, uh, there's, there's some fun. By the way, there's some funny Twitter videos going around of Arsenal fans in the home section. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. one really funny video. It's uh, it's a guy, and he zooms in up about ten rows, and a guy holds up his phone with an Arsenal logo on the screen and gives him a wink and a smile. No. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> and I'm like, you're a brave son of a bitch. When the ground emptied. <laughs> He didn't really empty. There was a lot of people hanging around Tim, you know what I'm saying? Looking down from the side stands and you knew who they were because there weren't Chelsea fans waiting for the crowds to go because the Chelsea fans emptied. There was a lot of Arsenal fans on the main stand to the right where the away fans were. But joking aside, Arteta having his son there gives a level of confidence about where he is, doesn't it? It's mm, a message yeah. to say where he is in his uh, Arsenal life and journey. Let, let me ask you, uh, Paul, I'll stay with you for a second. The the goal, obviously it's not like the prettiest goal we've ever scored, but I mean, a goal at Stanford Bridge is always beautiful. They're, they're all my children. Um, it's a Galazzo from Gabrielle, roofed into the net from one inch out and stealing it from Bukayo Saka. It's interesting though, because I was starting to get frustrated with Martinelli because he was whipping in these in-swinger corners that weren't high enough to beat the first man. But it's the very same corner that we score from. And I'm wondering, is it possible, because we've been so good on corners and with our delivery, is it possible that this was something we saw or we were thinking to do? Because none of the Martinelli corners beat the first man. They were all low, whipped, kind of near post, kind of that mid-body height. The same exact thing Saka does that scores the goal. And I'm wondering, I mean, there's no way you could know this, obviously. And uh, you could just say, yes, it's a stroke of genius, and we could be dead wrong. They just weren't executing. But I do think it's interesting that we delivered a lot of corners like that, and then one of them leads to the goal. Sure. Look, I've had uh, very strong opinions on much thinner evidence than this. So I I am aware. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what, what informs that opinion there. William Saliba makes that dart to the front post for a ball he's not going to get to. Uh, he dives, throws his head at it. He's never close. It's almost like it's a prescribed move. And even though he's not going to get there, he's going to do the thing they practiced. Um, mm-hmm. We did talk in the instant reaction about how Lewis and I, um, every corner we've taken this season, and we've taken a lot of corners, has been an in-swinger bar one. There was one uh, Odegaard took a couple of games ago where Lewis and I both thought, apparently, oh, shit, we've ruined our perfect in-swinging corners record. No other team in the league uh, has every corner be an in-swinger. Like, they have most of the corners be an in-swinger, and they have a few straight ones, or they they curve a few out. Like, this is very much 
what we do, where we put it, we practice the same kinds of corners again and again with different patterns to uh, confuse the opponent. There's the whole Chaka been held by Kukurea thing. Um, mm-hmm. And Chaka seems perfectly happy being held right at that spot. Tim, you wanted to say something? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was I was going to add to this because I know there's some data about corners that basically says in-swingers produce fewer goal-scoring chances but more goals, whereas hmm. out-swingers produce more shots on goals but fewer goals. And like the, the kind of... That makes the sense reason for, Yeah, exactly. It makes sense. It's a high-risk, high-reward strategy because most in-swingers, probably the goalkeeper's going to catch it or you're putting it into the most crowded area, basically. Whereas if you out-swing it, Towards the penalty bot, uh, towards the penalty spot, yeah, you're more likely to meet it, but it's a harder chance. So, mm-hmm. I, like to your point, Elliot, I think there is no chance that that is not rehearsed. That that is not what they were trying to do with all of those corners. It was mm-hmm. mainly Gabriel Jesus on the front post yeah. in the first half, and this time it was Saliba. But definitely, like about eighty percent of what teams try to do from corners is create disturbance, distraction around who they're actually aiming for. And like Saliba, Jesus, like I think it was kind of look if you if you scrape ahead on it, do that old fashioned Stevie Bold flick on, go for it. But really, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a disturbance, and they must have seen a, a specific weakness in Chelsea defending set pieces to do that. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that, and I think it's a great way to get a goal. I mean, there were a number of other chances we didn't convert, but that's okay. I do want to come on to Gabriel Jesus, but I also want to let you know that. Hmm. What should I let you know first? How about this? <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. There you go. BetterHelp. That's better. H-E-L-P. BetterHelp. Um, you know, I, I do like that we are sponsored by BetterHelp because I really think that it's a great service. I was just talking to someone about therapy the other day, someone who is a therapist, and talking about how services like this have really transformed the the ability to provide counseling and support to people who otherwise would not um, would not have access to it. And, you know, I, I think it, I BetterHelp sort of talks about it like life having a user manual, right? There's no user manual. And sometimes you find yourself in situations where you're like, I don't know how to navigate this. Navigating those challenges is not something you have to do alone. And, you know, it's it's really funny because if you have financial questions or you don't understand what's going on, you know, with your finances, you'd seek out an accountant or, you know, someone to do your taxes or whatever the case may be. Or if you have questions about your medical well-being, you'd go to a doctor. And yet when you're in distress emotionally or struggling with stressful times or whatever the case may be, there's this resistance to just go say, well, I should see someone who can help me with that, which is so counterintuitive because we're so comfortable going and getting the help we need in other areas of our life. So better help is something you can go to that will help you through those moments. It's anonymous. If you want it to be camera on camera off, you can get matched with someone in a day or two just by filling out a questionnaire. Um, there's no waiting room, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. You can get a specialist that's trained in the specific area you need, and it's more affordable as well. So learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash vision. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash vision. And of course, the only way to follow that up is with the sincerity and significance of the products from Manscaped. That's right. It's the holiday season. Everyone loves turkey and stuffing, but you'll be looking like dessert with the help of Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. 
the new copy they give me is always fun. The leaders in Below the Waist Grooming have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic. By the way, Thanksgiving, uh, an American holiday that we'll be celebrating in November, where we eat a lot of foods that I have to admit, don't get mad at me, aren't all my favorite. But it is nice to get together with family and stuff your face. So there's that. Um, and I guess we'll be watching the World Cup. Imagine that. Very, very strange. So tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer. and <laughs> Really? And gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and use code ARSENALVISION for free shipping and 20% off. You'll get the Lawnmower 4.0. You'll get the Weed Whacker, which is the nose uh, and ear hair trimmer. Don't forget the Lawnmower 4.0 wet-dry, which is great. You can use it in the shower instead of that... Uh, rusty old razor you're using right now. They've got the tonics. They've got the lotions. They've got the cologne. Do it all. Go and get 20% off and free shipping with code ARSENALVISION at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. Free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code ARSENALVISION. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you, I think. Clive, that's enough of that. Agreed? Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. Clive, in 10,000 words or less, tell me why we should all stop worrying about Gabriel Jesus not scoring goals because the guy is just fantastic and he's central to everything we do well. Yeah, a mate of mine, Charles, posted a tweet sort of saying, showing all of Jesus' touches. And the other half of the picture was Aubameyang's face. And I don't think there's anything else to say, really, is there? Because we can all make this up, can't we? I mean, Jesus is literally the first guy out of the trenches over the top. And that says, rolls his sleeves up and says, right, today we're having it and you're getting it from me. That's one of the basic fundamentals of football. You're getting it. I'm not sure what if I'm going to score, but you are not resting. You are not able to rest. I'm going to take you down the sides. I'm going to take you deep. When I get it, I'm going to turn sometimes. I'm going to lay it off the other times. I'm going to see if I'm the half turn the next time. When I lose it, I'm coming straight back for your ankles. Straight back for them. The moment of the game with... On the on the mischance, I mean, when I did the chat with you at halftime, Elliot, sometimes I have I'm in this little world at at the ground, and I sometimes think, oh crikey, I hope I've not gone too over the top. I said it could have been gold a season. Is it going to look rubbish on TV? But if we'd have scored it, yep. it would have, it would have been gold a <laughs> season. And but there's another bit in the game. So on first phase, Shinchenko goes long their left hand side, and I think Shaka's caught a little bit high, and suddenly it breaks down. And who jumps into left back? You know the answer, right? Jesus, he's back there hooking the ball away. No one asked him. No one's, he's not thinking, well, I'm the highest paid player in this club. He's got four league championship medals in my back pocket. I'm not going to run into that position. I am going to run into that position and I'm going to fight like I am a left back to make sure we maintain that clean sheet. Need I say more, right, about the value of what Jesus has brought to this group? He's told them, he's leading by example, exactly what's required to go away to a big six club and win. And you don't mm -hmm. win by leaving stuff in the tank. You win by emptying the tank, being a unit, 11 players working with cohesion and working with a sense of spirit. Man, I wish he'd have scored that goal. I wish on that block shot that Thiago Silva blocked, that it just deflected off him and... Goes into That's the roof a sensational the block by Thiago. Oh, my That's goodness. That's going in. It's because, such a nice move. He's beaten two yeah, men in the box, bro. He's beaten. He's twisted some blood in that box, right? And he's come out of it, and he's going to smash it in. And this is why you don't worry about him, because that could be a deflection of the goal next year. And, you know, Frank Lampard made a career out of that, didn't he? Having those shots deflecting in, right? So mm -hmm. just keep going with the level of intensity and power. And I felt he lost that for a bit earlier after Liverpool when he got that knock. 
but it's all back, and the rest of it's gonna is, yep. is gonna come right. So soft soft factor stuff, mate. But what he's brought to the group is significant, and I hope it came across on TV. I think it's impossible to miss. To be honest, mate, he could easily be a man of yeah. match for me easily. You should, along with three or four I mean, others. honestly, just <clears throat> all, all you have to do print out his touch map from that game and hang it on the wall. It's a masterpiece, Paul. Yeah, relating to that and relating to something that Clive said a little earlier, um, I don't remember a game since preseason where Gabriel Jesus rotated as deliberately out to the wing and then centrally with Martinelli. I mean, they've done it a little bit, but in recent games, uh, I mean, he drops deep, he picks up the ball, he connects, but he's generally stayed very central. In this game, it was uh, remarkable how often he was in a different position and to Clive's point about Potter being uh, very often going man-to-man, and they did in this game, uh, was part of the logic of doing that in this game to just stir the pot because he then entered the kind of rotations with Chaka, Zinchenko, Martinelli, where they were all taking up surprising positions, um, which, of course, has ripples across the team. Was that a, a, a deliberate tactic to say, well, we know you're going to man-to-man us, and the answer for man-to-man is rotations, movement, uh, them never knowing who's going to be in which position, who to follow, um, because you know his touch map, especially over on the left, uh, Martinelli through the middle, just gave them, I think, all sorts of things to think about that weren't necessarily in the, the board they drew up before the game started. Is that, do you think that's confabulation, Clive, or do you think there's something no, in there? I, I think there's a lot in there, but I, I would lift it up a level and just say to you, Paul, that this is just a principle of play. We have our shape and positions. If someone is out of position and unable to recover, I will recover for him. If I made a run to the left wing and I happen to be out on the left wing, I'll stay here. And the left winger now can rotate the centre forward. I think it could be either or. I generally do think so. But what we have, we have a picture of the pitch. And this is the painting we are painting. And that picture needs to have a level of balance around it. And and that it doesn't matter what your shirt number is. Back to what I spoke about before early in the season, we're numberless footballers when it comes down to it. And if I have to play yeah. left back, I'm playing left back. So when it comes down to something I was talking to you about earlier, I might do a clip on this, is about the redundancy in footballers. If you have a player that can't do that job defensively, then you have a level of issues in your group. If you have a forward that can only play down the middle, then you have a, a, a structural redundancy issue in your group. When you have playmaking wing forwards that can pass it, create their own shot, and be structural and sprint and move, the quality of player takes away the redundancy of that position, which means, Paul, back to your point, you can rotate. You know what I mean? You can rotate. You can put Shaka higher up because he's got the ability to do so. You can rotate. I, mean, it, it's, I just think it's a... Such a big thing for squad building that we've got the right type of players, the right type of attributes to allow us to even have a rotation conversation, mate, to be honest. Because we've got bad players, they've got to stand in the one position they can play. They're one-dimensional players that can only do one thing and we're moving away from those sort of players and that means we can develop, evolve our system of play. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, Tim, the, the question that I guess we should ask I have an answer, but I'm curious if yours is different. 
any concern on the not taking the chances? I mean, I I, I look at it like th- this is going to come around. There's going to be more of the five nils like we saw against Forrest. Like, uh, Jesus, in a typical example of him doing all the work, later on in the game, he wins a long ball out from the back against two much bigger men, turns them, dribbles them, and then plays in Odegaard, who could probably chip the keeper or pass it in or maybe play it back to the far side, doesn't do any of it. He shoots wide of the target. There was a Martinelli near miss. There was, you know, there were, there were a few options. I mean, Ben White actually had a couple of half-decent chances. Jesus obviously doesn't get his head to one. We produced 2.1 expected goals, and it winds up being, I don't want to say a jammy goal, but, you know, like a a, a bit of a fluky goal that wins this one. The last little piece of this for me, and and in a way, the beautiful thing, and Lewis said this on the instant reaction, we haven't peaked because we're still not taking full advantage of our final third dominance. And so do you see a worry in the sense of, you know, this team really needs to start converting on more of its chances? Or do, like, I'll give my opinion. My opinion is that I think finishing tends to ebb and flow a bit and that there will be days where we get this right more often. So where do you fall on that spectrum of, of concern to the extent that you have any about our, our current sort of struggle more days mm. than not to, to finish off the chances we're creating? Yeah. Like a little bit, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, because we haven't scored more than one in an away game. That's the last three games now um, where we've scored one. Um, but, and and look, we, we spoke about this on the last pod that like, the next kind of step is then getting that second goal. Um, but to be fair, a couple of pods ago, I think maybe after the Leeds, uh, after the Leeds game, I said something like I wanted our one nil away wins to look a bit more like Man City one nil away wins. This looked like a Man City one nil away win to me. There was no hanging on here. There was no panic when the five minutes went up um, for stoppage time. Um, I was I wasn't shitting myself. I didn't hear. From the way end, I didn't hear a, what the fuck, what five because <laughs> that's what happens when you're really anxious. Yeah, you know, like that you can tell when a when a crowd is anxious. You hear the what, what? Where'd you get five minutes? Even though it's clearly <laughs> five minutes because the game stopped for about three minutes. But you know, you just get that reaction because everyone's wound up. I didn't feel wound up mm-hmm. um, at all. This this felt like, in fact, City went to Stamford Bridge last year, one one nil. Gabriel Jesus got the winner, and it looked like this game. It was one of those those Man City 1-0 wins that makes you tear your eyes out or turn the channel over on 55 mm-hmm. minutes because the game's done. Um, and City have done that to us a couple of times as well, by the way. So, yep. you know, in terms of having that control, I I I, I put that as a, as a higher priority than the converting. The converting has to come as well because we will otherwise, you know, like the Southampton game, I don't th- I think we deserve to win that game. And we got a draw because we didn't convert. Leeds, we were lucky. But actually, what I <clears throat> what I'm thinking of as well is we've won at Stamford Bridge three times in a row now, and I think each of those wins plots the trajectory of this team quite well. In terms of the COVID year, when we won there one nil, and we got a really jammy goal because Emil Smith Rowe tackles the goalkeeper, and then we hung on like for dear life, mm-hmm. and we defended it, and we got the one nil win, and there were no fans there. And we'd won, uh, we'd beaten Liverpool in a very similar manner, where we'd, we'd like basically they'd given us two gifts, and then we sat back and defended. And then last season in April, we deserved to beat Chelsea in April, but it was backwards and forwards. It was a basketball game. This wasn't. This was control. So I prioritised that 
more than the conversion thing. I'm with you. I think the conversion thing comes if you just keep doing that. And yeah, to the point Lewis made, you know, Saka, Martinelli, I don't think they're at the zenith uh, of what mm-hmm. they'll achieve in front of goal. We've still got Smith Rowe to come back into the team as well. I think, um, I know Clive made this point on the last pod, I think he might have turned one or two of those one nils into two nils um, from the bench as well. Um, I think Eddie has still got something to add there. I'm still not ready to be down on Eddie um, at the moment. Like I, I think with sustained... Uh, with a kind of sustained run in the team, we saw what he could do at the end of last season and mm. I think he'll still have a big role to play. So I'm not enormously worried about it. I think it, it has to happen, but I think it's coming. And the way you get it is just by doing what we're doing. And I, I, I kind of just wanted to add something to what Paul said as well in terms of you know thinking if we didn't get the three points here, like before the game, it would feel like an injustice. I think Miguel Delaney tweeted before the game, and I think he was absolutely right in this assessment. He said, is this the first time there's been pressure on Arsenal for a result this season? Because City got a jammy last-minute win yesterday. They're back on top of the league. And he basically said, if Arsenal don't win, they don't go top. Not many people think they'll ever be back there this Mm. season. So he was saying like, if they're title contenders, this is the first time there's been a bit of pressure and expectation. And I agree with that. And I think you saw our reaction um, to it, which was outstanding. So I, I put those things above the conversion thing. I think the conversion is a byproduct if we just keep doing this. And oh, by the way, like we're creating pressure for city because the expectation is this is city's title. No one will challenge them. They'll run away with it. And that's not happening. You know, and and so there's pressure on them too. It's they didn't exactly walk the game at home to Fulham. Um, to be fair, they went down to ten men in somewhat controversial fashion, but it is what but it even is. Even going down to ten men, they didn't go down to ten men by accident. They went down to ten men because the guy was one on one with the goalkeeper yeah. in the penalty yep. area and was yeah. about to score. And like they've drawn with Villa, they've drawn with Newcastle. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying for for one minute I think we're going to win it. Um, but I don't think City, uh, may, uh, to be fair, like maybe the, the bar is just so high that them not getting 114 points feels like there's a chink in their armour. Mm-hmm. I think what they've done is they've sacrificed a little bit of control for Haaland. And to be honest, that is a sacrifice worth making. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll lose stuff in control, but I mean, he'll kind of make it irrelevant. Yeah, if you score 60 goals, you can, you can sacrifice control and... I, look, Jesus may not score 60 goals this season, but there's still a lot of things I love he's doing, Paul. I, I mean, there were so many little moments in this game that when maybe there could have been pressure, he got the ball to his feet and won a foul or turned away. The one I, I referenced yesterday that I that I loved was Kukurea did a backheader that was meant mm-hmm. to go to you know one of his center backs, and Jesus anticipated it and took it off him, and then Chalaba had to foul him cynically, and it just slows the game right down, and this was late in the game. I I want to be careful here because ultimately your striker does have to score goals. Someone has to. You, I am cognizant of the fact that if we don't get that sort of weird corner kick goal, the whole conversation today revolves around, yeah, we strangled the game, but are we a team that doesn't have goals in us? I get that some of this is results-oriented discussion, but on another day, we don't get the jammy corner kick goal and Thiago Silva doesn't make the block or Jesus gets his head on that Martinelli cross. That's how football is. You get one maybe you didn't think you'd get. You don't get the one you didn't. I mean, City won with a terrible penalty at the death against Fulham. These things happen. So to me, it's a masterclass from Jesus. 
you know, I, I, I think right up the spine, the, the, the game was won by Saliba's performance, by Party's performance, and by Jesus's performance, and they were all central to what we were able to do. Yeah. I have been thinking about this Gabriel Jesus goal scoring, and here I'm going to use uh, finger air quotes, um, mm-hmm. goal drought <clears throat> um, topic. Not so much a, an actual goal drop, just a goal drought, just the goal drought topic. That'll probably come up over the length of Jesus's career. And when you compare him to, say, Haaland, they're asked to do two very, very, very different things. And Haaland gets to be a striker for 90 minutes. He can. One of the things a striker does is he ghosts out of everybody's attention, even when they're Haaland, because he doesn't have to come to the ball. He doesn't have to do, you know, he has to do a number of things within the system. But basically, he gets to go on the shoulder of whoever he wants to go on out of their spot, play around with them, move center backs around, because all he needs to think of is where do I go when they get me the ball in the box or in and around the box? Jesus is anticipating the back header for Kukurea. He's anticipating Thiago taking the ball and showing enough of it of him that he can steal it from behind. Uh, all his mental resources are into creating the opportunity for us to spring an attack. And uh, I think a lot of people use the term, and maybe it's a shorthand, um, <clears throat> does he get into the box enough? I don't think that's the issue. Does he mentally have the time to get his mind into a striker's mind where Gary Lineker style, your your mind is composed in the place to anticipate. Because I think the real problem with that header is not that he doesn't get his head on it at the last moment. It's that the moment he makes that dart forward, Lineker talks about the, the, the move for you, the move for the defender and then the move for you, right? Um, I think... Jesus' spring. He just needs another half an inch when he makes that spring to make the run forward and take the next five or six steps. That's all about striker's mind, the timing with the guy bringing in the ball. He has the time to do it, but mentally, he's been the chef in the kitchen. He's been the sous order chef. He's been the the waiter. He's been the greeter at the front door. Like, you're not going to do your best cooking at the critical moment when you're doing three or four things. And so we all know that, but in this overall conversation about, oh, how good a finisher is Gabriel Jesus, if we want to find out how good a finisher he is, we'll have to relinquish all the other good things he does and say, you be a striker for a couple of games and ghost into the best positions mentally and positionally that allows you to be a killer as opposed to having done three or four other things and then suddenly you're in this position of striker, but your mind's still chasing all over the, like it's just strikers are a different creature. Their mind is in a different place and he doesn't have the luxury of doing that. And uh, I think it's going to always going to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah. I mean, I guess, so I'll, I'll agree with you and slightly disagree with you only in the sense that like, if statistically he was not doing any striker stuff, like end product goal stuff, like if he had Lacazette's statistics, no shots, no expected goals, no expected assists, you know, then then I would start to look at it and say there's a paucity of end product in our team, and what he's doing isn't enough to overcome that because you still need to be able to create. But 
I mean, Gabriel Jesus has 0.59 expected goals per 90 and 0.22 expected assisted goals per 90 for a 0.81 overall, you know, non-penalty expected goals plus non-penalty plus expected assists. And like, those are really good numbers. Those are numbers you'll take. They're not elite, elite. I mean, they're not, you know, back when I was saying we should go get Gabriel Jesus, if we can get him from City, he was putting up 0.81, 0.97 expected goals per 90. And like that, those are the kind of numbers where you go out and you score 25 goals in a season or, or more. Yeah. But but my point is, I would I would not, Paul, be inclined to just give him a pass on doing striker stuff. And this, I don't want to can I, I don't make a dig quick up clarification from last season's. Yeah, yeah. please, please do. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he should he doesn't and he shouldn't do striker stuff. I'm not saying he doesn't have lots of xG. I'm just saying his mind is in four other places on the pitch just before he... He does actually get into the box. He does actually get into those positions. But he doesn't have the luxury Gary Lineker used to have of mentally being ready in the same way that our midfield ping that ball around because their body position... Like It's not that he's not he doesn't get into the box and he's not getting his XGs. Mentally, he's done three or four other things all game long. It, it's different... Yeah. When you get to be a striker for 90 minutes thinking, where do I ghost to? How do I get my mind ready for the three or four moments? He doesn't get to think about the three or four moments. No, I totally agree. And, and I'll yeah. say this before, before I turn that over to you, Clive, is that I really do believe, too, that when you are battling in the middle of the pit, look where his 62 touches are. He uses so much energy doing all the other things that then when it's time to lunge for that header, when it's time to push off and curl that shot past the post. I mean, he expends so much energy. I do think these strikers, they get to rest a little during the game when they have to give it the 100% output to make sure the ball's in the back of the net. They haven't been doing all the things he does. I think we should stop and appreciate the extraordinary exertions that he puts forward in a game to be able to do, to get the shots, to create the assist, and then go bang bodies all over the pitch and recover balls and all that, Clive. Yeah, it's about priorities, right? So this game is really instructive, actually, because when when you're a football player, you go on the pitch with your 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 emphasis, whether you're going to be a tackler in midfield or a, a runaway sprinter, wide man. So you always come up with your primary skill sets in your mind, right? So if I'm Jesus, his primary skill sets for me is to lead our line, to be our number nine, to lead the line. And goal scoring is something that I think is important to him, but it's not the only thing by which he's defined by. So you only need to look at Aubameyang. He's defined as a goal scorer, right? So look at his touch map in this game, right? He was disconnected from the game. Tim, you went to Baku, didn't you? Went to Baku. In Baku, how did you feel, mate, watching our two strikers disconnected from the game, not working? I remember that day. I remember it clearly. And I clearly said we should sell both of them after that game because I realized then we need something else. They didn't handle the mental moment. They weren't involved. They were disconnected from the game. We had Ozil, Aubameyang and Lacazette on I don't know how much money a week that couldn't contribute to the overall team effort. Now, we need to just assess, change our judgment slightly and don't get this got swept up about Jesus because when I look at his chance misses, I can't criticize them technically. I can't say... Oh, you haven't got your standing foot right, or you took the wrong shot, the wrong foot. A couple of them are a little bit dodgy, you know, could have lobbed the keeper once at Southampton, maybe, or, you know, a couple of those, the last touch before when he was one on one, a couple of technical 
decisions that didn't go quite right. But we're shooting with power. We're heading with power. We're making. We're decisive. We're smashing mm-hmm. it on target. Do you see what I mean? So you, when you see that, you know it's coming. So I have got no concerns whatsoever. My biggest concern is what happens if he gets a calf injury. And that's the biggest concern. What happens if if Saka did get a bad injury the other day? That's my biggest concern because the lack of firepower beneath the firepower is the issue. Mm -hmm. Because as a team, we're scoring. But as a a squad, will we have the same presence physically and speed-wise and technically if we lose any of those top three boys? That's my concern. No, and it's fair. And I, <clears throat> I do think it was notable because I thought Martinelli was really dragging by the end of this game and had nothing left to give. Those, you know, that was a very heavy pitch, a lot of running. I think the difference between Martinelli and Saka, Saka works so hard. He uses little short bursts and little, you know, close control movements. Martinelli's more of a sprinty player. I feel like he does more, you know, top level sprints, like fastest he can run, whereas Saka is more of a control player and he beats the man with the ball at his feet <clears throat> through you know, the ability to to cut inside. And 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 so I feel like, and maybe it's also just the fact that Sack is a better athlete than Martinelli. I don't know. But Martinelli does finish games sometimes looking totally spent, Clive. Just want to say on, on that, Eddie, a really good, really good point. I think they both were excellent in their in their own way. And they had two pretty good opponents in Cucurello and Aspilicuera. And they were having to work out a way to overcome them. Right, Aspilicueta have done a few laps of the building, right? He's not inexperienced. He's the first player I've seen against Martinelli, Clive, who just had that feel for when to stick his boot in and take the ball off. Yeah, way and, that and a lot he, of players don't see Martinelli to. got trapped to the touchline a bit too many times. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he stopped it. He stopped it and stood still. Bang, target for a press. Mm-hmm. He needed to touch, 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 one touch, second touch, out of there, quickly, right? They blocked him off quite nicely, particularly in the second half. They blocked out his escape routes. Now, what Saka did, he's a bit, he's a bit clever on the day. So what he did once he got out of his mano mano ego stuff with Cucurella, he did, he was just saying to Ben White, pass it in front of me from the side. So he coming off the off the line, he didn't want it to feet. He wanted it three yards inside. Then he would sprint after it and receive it on the move, and then he would then as he sees it on the move, he's already sprinting away from Cucurella. Then he could drift mm-hmm. the ball inside and then follow his pass or invert back again. Do you see what I mean? And I thought he was smarter. And Martinelli does this too. But on the day, I felt Chelsea really blocked off his side. And Tim said about his futsal stop. I know what you mean, Tim. Exactly. He studs on the ball and he rolls it around the corner. On this day, he needed to receive it already on the move or touch, touch quickly out of there. So he's at top speed. So now what happens is when Espelacueta is going to challenge him, Martinelli's at speed, in charge of the ball, in charge of the duel. The next thing that happens is going to be a foul against. If you're standing still, you're not quite aware of what's around you. And if you get a little kick on the ankle, you miscontrol the ball and they and they run away with it. Referee just goes, play on. This is England. We're trying to play on. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so you, that's where we lost a bit of rhythm. But just minor details, mate, to be honest. And look, as much as we dominated this game, Chelsea are still Chelsea. They still have some talented players. I don't think they were good. They defended their box well. Like, I do think they defended their box well. I do think, by and large, when they were at the key moment they had to make a defensive intervention, I thought they did well. Aspilicueta did well taking the ball off um, Martinelli. I thought they got two men around Saka well so that he couldn't, you know, really get past them a lot. Um, the, the one player they really couldn't handle in space was obviously Saliba dribbling past people and getting to the byline. But by and large, I thought they defended their box 
reasonably well. That, that's yeah. what happens when the two leaders of their defence are a 104-year-old Azpilicueta and 110-year-old Thiago Silva. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the leaders of Arsenal's defence are like 21-year-old William Saliba and 25-year-old Gabriel. So Arsenal defend their half, Chelsea defend their box. That's what happened on the it's day. It's a great point. Really good point. But they still have the noose, right, and the experience now, whatever, to, to defend their box. And they did well. Um, I thought it was noticeable. Look, we missed Emil Smith-Rowe, is my belief, but I think we missed just another attacker generally because I do think Martinelli's race was run. We're winning 1-0. Chelsea are going to have to come at us a little, even though they never really managed it. Heavy legs. They're going to be further from their box. It was noticeable to me that Mikel did not have an attacker he trusted to bring on in this game, that he didn't bring on Eddie to run at them, that he didn't bring on Nelson, that he didn't bring on Marquinhos, and I'm not saying or Vieira. You want to have that one extra killer on your bench on a day like this where you say, Martinelli, thanks for all the hard work. You've run yourself into the ground, mate. Come off. We're going to have someone run at a tired old Aspilicueta and a tired old Tiago Silva, right? And we're going to put them under pressure. And, and we didn't have that. I had said on the instant reaction, I think that is a sign that in January we need to go for an attacker. But to be fair, I was reminded that we do have Emil Smith-Rowe and Emil Smith-Rowe's burst and energy off the bench in a game like this would have been absolutely central to our ability to make it even safer. Now, to be fair, it never really felt under threat because they never really mounted a challenge. So it was um, it was interesting. The thing I wanted to ask you about, though, Tim, at the very end, the Shaka fight, <clears throat> yeah. once upon a time... I would have been going mental. Oh, what's he doing? Don't get tied up. Oh, come on. What do you, but like, I loved this. So many times I can think of Chelsea bullying us, you know, whether it was Drogba or Costa or our kids in the league cup, the fight at the end of that one. And, you know, I just think of times where, you know, Essien obviously violently doing it. Um, but they were a big brutish side and we got brutalized by them at times. And I love that we went to Stanford Bridge, choked the life out of them with our control of this game, never let them mount a comeback, broke their spirit, and then showed a little fight in us at the end to say, get out of here. You're in our corner. You're by our fans. We're going to stay and celebrate on your pitch. Get the hell out of here. So how, how did you feel about Shaka doing that? Did you get a little bit of the old, oh, come on, Shaka, don't get involved? Or, or did this feel different to you? <laughs> It felt different, but it feels different just because results are different. Um, yeah, that's, if, that's if entirely it, fair. <laughs> if if he'd have done that like eighteen months ago, regardless, his internet, like his intention, everything might have been the same. But if you're not playing well, you're going fuck sake, Shaka, don't do. Do this. you think he was but, in control there or not in control there? No, I think he was. Uh, when okay. you see, I know you guys mentioned this on the uh, yeah yeah on the instant reaction. There's the smile. Also, I think that there's a place to do that stuff. And when the ball's out of play next to the corner flag, that's the time and place because that's very low risk in terms of getting a. I don't think he got booked, did he, um, for that? Uh, I can't remember. And like he definitely should have because he really blocks the ball going back to the goalkeeper. Like he didn't that's, get a, booked that's a bit of gamesmanship I absolutely want to see because it has an absolutely direct. Yep, we're wasting time, but clearly, like also the 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 kind of altercation afterwards. I know you guys referenced on the instant reaction the the 2007 League Cup final and the the fracas at the end. I remember what Wenger said about that, and they were basically the angle they were going for is, "Oh, do you regret seeing that?" Because, "Oh, won't someone think of the children?" kind of thing. And he said, "What I regret about that is it took our focus off the game." And he said, "Basically, the game was over." After that, because our head wasn't in it anymore, and he said we sacrificed the chance to get something back um, mm. for the sake of basically some handbags. And yeah, 
I, th- I think there's a chance that that's that's what's going on. I think utmost in Jacker's mind was it's a goal kick. It's the 92nd minute. I haven't been booked. I'm just going to stop him bringing it back to the goalkeeper. If I get booked for that, that's a booking worth taking. And obviously it winds them up. And it, so I don't think the entire thing is calculated necessarily. I don't think Jacker thought, I know, I'll cause a fracas next to the touchline. I think he was just trying to block the ball and it wound yeah. Talabar up. And, and he but. But I think he was in control throughout the whole thing. But like I said, I think he might have been doing stuff like that 18 months ago that we viewed through a very different lens because the results and the performances were different. Yeah, Paul? Yeah, I think both are true. I think that's all spot on. I think he was playing the situation. I think he was doing the shithousing. We like that. I think he felt the moment and what was needed to distract, to tie up, to slow down this game until the point that Mateo Kovacic comes over, who's Croatian. And Chaka's from Albania in terms of heritage. And in fact, I think he's born there. And Kovacic doesn't say very much. He keeps a very low key. I don't know what he said. But suddenly, uh, Chaka goes, I would say, from being in control of the situation to having heard something about his sister that only a Croatian knows how to get under your radar and around the sides. This was uh, there was a Zidane World Cup final moment there going on. And Thomas Partey... I did, I did co- wonder about that. Yeah. I did wonder about that. No, and at then, all. Kovacic started stalking him back up the pitch too. Yeah. yeah. Do you and, remember that game a few years ago where Diego Costa wound up Gabriel Paulista? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. this is the only Chelsea player that knows how, or Arsenal player on the pitch mm-hmm. that day that knows how to talk to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <in> Portuguese. <laughs> and I don't yeah. think it's necessarily that they speak the same language, though there was probably some of that in there. It's that they know what in your culture will send you off the fucking deep end. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I did wonder if there was maybe something about that. Well, it, it didn't. It all worked out for us. <laughs> By the way, ben, ben White, another fantastic oh, game. Also Jesus. a really... And a the really shithousing. The weird player. Well, the, the, the Ben White moment that's been going around the internet, if you haven't seen it, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> After we score the goal, he kicks the ball into the back of Odegaard's head and just keeps trotting, and Odegaard turns around like, what just happened? White doesn't raise his hand, doesn't say anything. He flicks just, it off he, a cone with his heel and hits yeah. Odegaard in the back of the head. It's just keeps skill. running. It's so good. It's so funny. Um, well, yeah, I mean, um, the, the celebrations at full time were sensational, obviously. And Clive, you were there to see them. What I doubt you were there to see, but you probably heard by now, is Granite Shaka being interviewed on live TV uh, on oh, the pitch, and they're singing there. a song. He says, the atmosphere, it's, it's fucking unbelievable, which hence the title of the pod and the intro to the pod. Um, maybe he's just an arse blog reader, but he got it wrong. It's supposed to be it's fucking excellent, but that's okay. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I'm sick of the celebration police getting involved. I haven't actually seen a lot of celebration police on this one, which is good, and and... I think we have a right to to celebrate when we go and win these games against a London rival on their pitch and a team that's heaped some misery on us. But now I think it's three in a row in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge that we've won. So it makes a nice change. What what was your take on Granite Xhaka's uh, live television moment and the, just the celebrations at full-time generally? Yeah, we were... we were watching him on the pitch, so we knew what was going on. I didn't know who was doing the interview, but... We were singing like crazy and they took a while to go. And yeah, it, like I say, it was 
a highlight of my life after watching life, honestly. It really was. And um, I, I think it was the manner of the win rather than the spectacular football. It was the manner of the win. It's a manner of, okay, 20 years of watching them with their special funding model literally become the most successful club in world football. Two Champions Leagues, things that we dearly want, right? Three or four Premier Leagues, players that were always in our shadow now got three or four Premier Leagues like our best players in our history. And I've always felt a little bit begrudging of that. And there was a moment in this game where it really felt like this time we're here and this time we're not going away. And as you guys said, it is a reaction. This is going to get better if we're smart, right? So Granit Xhaka is a big part of that. And sometimes you have to remember that these are very young men. And there was a huge away support that were incredibly vocal. And I did watch a brief bit of highlights, and it didn't seem as loud as it actually was on the day in the ground. And I will tell you something. I don't know how it came back on TV, because I'm staying in party mode. I'm going to watch it this <laughs> afternoon. Um, but I've never known Chelsea's crowd so quiet. They were waiting to be killed. They were literally waiting to be killed. They were so subservient. They were so quiet. This is not a place that's um, a pretty place to go. It can be. It's not like Spurs, but it can be quite aggressive, for example. I didn't sense any of that. I never felt more comfortable. It was just... They know their place. Dominated them. <laughs> yeah, we we dominated them. And, um, and it was just complete domination and a turning of the page. And so straight away, the, na- the nature of how I look at football, I always look at the horizon. And because I felt so good this day, I want to feel this good again. And so what's the risk factors to this? And that's where my head is, I'm afraid. And I'm so keen that we layer on top of this because with the, the amount of people that said, we've waited so long for this. This is why I wish Tim was there because Tim has done the miles, more miles than me. Do you know what I mean? He, and he knows what I'm talking about. These guys, are they're well grizzled. They've done the miles. They've been to every away game for years. And they were, they they really marked this moment. It meant something to them. You know, people recognized me a little bit more. And they couldn't wait to come up and tell me this how good this was. You know, and so I really want to get that across in the podcast. Hence why I didn't want to go to super analysis mode, stay in fanboy mode, and do the analysis for the rewatch, mate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and and it tra- it transmitted. I mean, it transmitted through the screen. It transmitted globally. the The sense that this is a mirage is gone for me anyway. I don't know if it's gone for other people. I, I mean, this is the best start in the club's history. No team has ever started this well and failed to win the league, as far as I'm aware. I think before this game, the only team that had failed was uh, Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. Uh, and look, most of those teams didn't have the Terminator robot that is Manchester City stalking them but it it's still a reminder that this isn't a mirage and i i think tim the other thing is you just look around the league look at the results this weekend spurs lose to a not convincing liverpool united lose to villa under unai emery if you can't get unai emery to throw away a lead i don't know what you're about what you're about um i I do think newcastle are a problem maybe not a problem for us this season but i think they will finish in the top four and they're project quote unquote is going to go bang quicker than we would have liked um city get a scrappy win we beat chelsea i mean it's it's one de bruyne dive away from being the perfect weekend and as you look at this 
I'm curious, do you think the fact that we've really put a hell of a cushion between us and fifth place together allows for us to think title a little more in the sense that to some extent, you know, it's not to say you couldn't throw the whole thing away, but I trust this team enough now, and, and the World Cup will change things a lot, obviously. But do you think that these results and our ability to maybe not have to so carefully and closely be watching fourth means that we can start to think first a little more? Because it seems silly to me to go into every weekend right now being like, all right, what's our gap to fourth when you're top of the table and those teams are losing every weekend? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, I mean, it depends on who you mean by the players or the fans. Um, uh, yeah, be- fair point. <laughs> because <laughs> maybe the players, though, then that they don't feel that oh, we're going to throw the whole thing away, be back in the Europa League. You know, you yeah, yeah. That cushion. You're there for a reason. Now go fight for a title. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think honestly that that players um, probably don't and shouldn't think like that like zoom like you know the the one game at a time cliche like cliches Mm, are usually cliches because they're true and that that cliche is just a true one that you go Mm. you just go to the next game and go right let's do the same thing again let's do the same thing again same preparation same again so i mean that i don't think at this stage they have to think about it maybe that that changes i think in about march april where it like there's definitely a thing around it there's definitely an extra psychological pressure even the best Arsenal teams who've gone and won the league have felt that like I don't know if any of you guys remember beating Derby 1-0 in April 1998 we were in the middle of a 10 match winning run we were we'd we'd gone and beaten Wimbledon 5-0 Blackburn 4-1 we were spanking everyone and then we got Derby on a Wednesday night and we were two wins away and we won 1-0 and I think I aged 15 years that night and when we won it in 2002, we had a couple of games against Ipswich and West Ham in the run-in where we didn't score until 10 minutes to go. And again, years on my life in those evenings. And that's when we were in control and we won the thing. So I do think it changes around then. But like, I mean, for, for the players, I don't think they should think about that sort of stuff too much for the fans. I mean, psh, why, the, why the hell not? Like, just... just I, I'm kind of more on Lewis's side of the fence maybe than yours, Elliot, um, going by the instant reaction in terms of the just enjoy the ride kind of thing. Like, I, I'm not enormously keen to put a label on this at the moment, and but I, I have to admit that is clearly because of some expectation gap, maybe some psychological scar tissue from times like 2008, for example, or even 2014 when we were top of the league at Christmas and mm-hmm. fell away and finished fourth. Like, you know, we've got more experience of that <laughs> than going and really, really competing. Um, so, you know, may- maybe there is like an element of self-care, but I think that's kind of down to the individual and a fan's respect. And in, in a player's respect, they shouldn't think too much about that but I must admit I am looking at the gap to some of those teams and I'm thinking mm-hmm. yeah like the the more this continues the more I just feel like top four is kind of you know like I I very very much expect that as a bare minimum now and um and I think well, the part, other I mean just just to put it in perspective real quick sorry to cut across mm. you but like we probably need to play at about a 60 or 62 point pace the rest of the way to be top four yeah. And I mean even even at the depths of, you know, the the worst few seasons recently, we were able to play at roughly that pace. Yeah. So yeah. we'd have to be we could be pretty bad 
and still get there is sort of what, I, what yeah. I'm driving at. Uh, yeah. There's there's like an economies of scale effect here, right? We're really, really good. And some of those teams that routinely challenge for those spots aren't good at the moment. That's why Newcastle are in the picture all of a sudden. And I, and I think the expectation might be a factor for Newcastle because I think they were thinking that they could keep getting away with this. Oh, hasn't Eddie Howe done a nice job? Aren't, aren't they looking different? Isn't, isn't there a nice feel-good factor around there? Like they're going to come to the stage where it's like, they're very, I think, quicker than they realise because, like Liverpool, have been bad and Chelsea and Spurs and United, quicker than they realise it's going to be. Come on, Saudis! You've got all the money. You should be finishing in the top four. I think that expectation's coming for them as well. I, I think what I'd say as well, just to, I, I guess in closing from me about this game, I'm really, really pleased about. We had a game on Thursday night, and it was a harder game than we wanted. And we had to scrap out the last 20 minutes of that game. Chelsea had, I think, two extra days on mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't say that. That didn't factor in my thinking for one second during this game. In fact, it's only just come into my mind now. And if we're talking about, you know, Champions League next season, hopefully as champions in pot one. Um, but if we're talking about that, that's a really, really pleasing development as well to have a tough European game. On paper, it shouldn't have been, but it was probably much more like a Champions League game might be. And then Mm -hmm. to go away to Chelsea at the shortest possible gap to have the 8 o'clock and the 12 midday and to go to Chelsea and deal with them no problem. I think that's very, very pleasing development. Final thought, Paul? Well, I was curious with uh, Tim, who knows how schedules work, what's the latest that they could reschedule our game against City? Um, at one stage, so, I, I misheard somebody say something that I really liked the thought of, which was that the the game reschedule wouldn't be till April. Now, I think that's bollocks. But I had this thought of, God, that would be delicious. If we could not play City till twice late in the season, how that would set us up mentally for a run to, uh, and then it's down to two game like, Basically so, like a two-legged tie for the title in April. <laughs> oh, almost. Yeah. And I thought psychologically that would be really, really good for us as opposed to the, wouldn't it have been great if we played City a week or two ago? But it might also kind of put the nails psychologically into your season. I'm like, the later we play City for the first time and just keep doing our things with the rest of the league, I really like that. I think it's likely to be February because we're now not in that Europa League round of death in February. So that frees up two midweeks. So I think you'll get City away and Everton at home in in those two midweeks now. Well, I'm also going to go out on a limb and say, we better not... I mean, I I don't know how to say this without people just being furious at me, but most of the things I say they are, so I guess I can lean into it a little bit. I do not want us in the League Cup. I know we play Brighton at midweek. I'm not going to say I'll actively root for us not to win. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'll root for us to win every game but I don't want us to play anyone. Like, would anybody be upset if we played the the entire academy alone just in that game? No first-team players. If we beat Wolves, a very bad Wolves team, next weekend, we go into the World Cup break top. I, there's just no good reason to play anyone in the League Cup, especially when you factor in that it's an extra fixture in January. Look at January. It's it's not great, guys. <laughs> it, it's not great. It'll be extra fixtures that we don't need. And the problem is if you do start to go far in that tournament, then you kind of sort of have to take it seriously. I'm you know less I mean? worried then- about Wolves. Like, I agree with you on, on the f- f- 
dropping out of the cup and opening up the calendar uh, and opening up a space where we could put a title towards the end of it. That would be nice. But I'm not so worried about whether we'll be strong enough for Wolves at the weekend. I, I think the timing of this game and the fact that we'll mm. be able to rotate a little bit. But I'm I'm fully on board with it. If we start dropping out of the cups by accident, I won't cry. Yeah, yeah. I, like, we've won FA Cups. They were Liverpool wonderful. Did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, at some point, you, ha- you have to prioritize. And, and look, I understand people get mad at prioritizers. Like, oh, you're going to prioritize top four over an actual trophy. Totally get that. But this is an actual trophy. It's called the Premier League trophy. And like whatever outside chance we have at it, I would prioritize that. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Clive, final thought on uh, why we should play all of our starting 11 in, in the cup against Brighton in midweek. <laughs> Yeah, because I want to keep the culture going. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that this time. What I am saying, pot on that note. (laughs) Yeah, what I am saying this time is there are a set of players developing here with qualities that do no longer want to listen to Europa League music. So, Mm -hmm. if that's your priority, make it your priority, because the upward escalator is defined by us being in Champions League from a sporting ambition point of view. Nothing else matters, and that's it. You de- you bought, you developed, you bought young, you've created something. The next step on the ladder is um is absolutely critical. Nothing gets in the way, nothing at all. And I'll say this about mentality too. If you put out some first teamers against Brighton and you lose, maybe that dings you a little bit. Oh, you know, cracks in the armor. But if you put out the kids like Arson used to do in the League Cup and they lose, like, oh, the kids, you know, they got a chance to go out there, they did their best, like the first team players don't take a hit. Nobody worries about it. Doesn't dent your confidence or your momentum. Clive? Can I say one last thing? I, I, I don't Tim know it as well. I, I just asked you to, so please. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Another last thing. Uh, well, I, I did notice this weekend there was a real collective response from players. So the, the, the youth team, they won um, away. The women, they won. And they all quoted... The first team have done well. The academy have won, and I sensed a a top to bottom connection. Like this is a club thing. This is a club on the move. And it, uh, Tim, I'm sure you saw that bit too when Lottie spoke after the game. And I, I saw Mara Bandera, who's a player to watch, by the way, spoke after the game on Twenty One's game. And there's Josh a thing. Josh was in town. Josh was in town. He's gone into the dressing room after the game. There were there were rumours that the press boys were saying that the Arsenal dressing room was a little bit loud after the game because they could hear it from the <laughs> press box because Chelsea's an old school grounds. It's all very, very close. So you're sensing something, aren't you? And we have a six-week <laughs> gap post-Wolves where we have a chance to breathe and look exactly at what we want to do and what we want to be and how we want to get there. And it's a very exciting time. It is a very exciting time. Not sure I'm ready for it to stop, but I think all of us, if we can get through that Wolves game, we'll almost be welcoming the World Cup break in the sense of like, okay, we get six weeks where we get to just be at the top of the table and no one can take it away from us. So I, I kind of like that aspect of it. A, a memorable day memorable day in a memorable season. I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. We'll be back with rewatches over on Patreon. Once we get through the Wolves game, it's going to be scouting video season. So Clive and I are going to do scouting videos for patrons on some of our loanies. Right, So if you want to see how Balogun's doing a little more closely or Austin Trusty's doing a little more closely or Charlie Patino, we're going to do that. We're going to do guys like Danilo and you know scouting videos on players that we've been linked with. Facundo Torres, I think, is one. So we'll be, do- we'll be doing that as well. I hope you join us over there. But if not, just glad you're joining us over here. And I want to thank Tim, who's on Twitter, at Stillmanator. Thank you, Tim. 
My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Going to do my normal outro, even though you know I don't mean it. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 right now. Mm-hmm.